I'm Emily Weaver, a California-based brand builder with a passion for helping people develop and scale their business. I'll be on the podcast today to talk to the guys about how to create and build your business while staying true to who you are. Let's get started. All right. Welcome back to the bull, the bear, and my brother's chair. I am Brian Lucius, a.k.a. People call me B-Lou, which is a name that gives me lots of street cred out there in the public. And I do have Mr. Nate Lucius with us also. Nate, what's happening today? You know, things are pretty good today. It's uh, I opened my pool yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah. So Minnesota <laughs> opening your pool in April is, uh, let's just say that's a big win, especially for my kids. Which for those of you wondering, well, what's the temperature like in Minnesota right now as we sit, it is 46 degrees out. However, yesterday it was 68 and sunny. So, Oh, it's a heat wave coming through Minnesota. I yesterday, and I can start with this thing because I'm, I'm bullish on this thing. Is, are you familiar with the all-in challenge? I am. I'm actually going to win uh, Which one, one or two. Um, my goal, I got two goals. One is to win the Timber Lake and Bill Murray golf at Pebble Beach. That would be cool. However, I also want to win the Dallas Mavericks person who can play in the game. The but I will contract? Not be, but I will not be playing. I will invite a special friend who I'd like to see get in an NBA game. I feel like if you put me in the NBA game, that would be... It would be well worth your money. Yeah. But for those of you who don't know what the all-in challenge is, and we have no affiliation with this thing, but it it is quite fascinating. I think it's on the Fanatics website or Google all-in challenge and you'll get there. And it is a long list of celebrities that have donated. And I can't remember. It's for, for, uh, it's for the COVID, uh, some, some sort of providing meals to people, but it is some of the biggest names that you'll, that you'll recognize either donating an experience with them or a uh, prized possession of theirs. Uh, the ones that Nate bid on, obviously playing golf with Bill Murray and JT. I didn't know they were homies. Those are, well, they, they always do the Pebble Beach uh, Pro-Am. Bill okay. Murray's big. And so mine are like 20 bucks and you get like 10 entries for it. Yeah. As I did the lottery system also. Now I, I put in for, uh, a walk-on role in a Martin Scorsese, Scorsese, whatever, the director Film. dude. And he is with, it's uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Bob De Niro. Uh, you might know him as Robert, but he says it's Bob, and I feel like me and him are close enough where it's Bob. I put in for a walk-on role in that movie, which I feel would be my breakout role. I also put in for the uh, uh, day contract that Mark Cuban is offering with the Dallas Mavs. So I feel like, you know, me shooting some threes on uh, LeBron or somebody like that would be pretty cool. And then I, uh, last one I put in was for a day with Gary V. Do you follow Gary V at all? I do not. I don't really know who Gary V is, to be honest with you. He is a, uh, you got to get past his F-bombs, but his, his content and the things he talks about are very good, but he does have quite a few f-bombs in his i was trying shows. to look up so some of them are um sweepstakes you buy twenty dollars ten tickets i did the raffles yeah uh, some of them though are auction items yes and so as an example this one here is with peyton manning so peyton will fly to wherever you are so you come to minneapolis okay he would play golf with you and two of your buddies so he'd play golf with the two of us one of our other buddies That'd be cool and then you have dinner with Manning, and you just kind of hang out with him for. It's got to be at least a thousand bucks. Yeah, the current bid, and there's still time, a little bit of time remaining, 
is $525,000. American dollars? Yep. Okay. There's also one with Brady, his opening, I think it's his opening game in Tampa, where you get to go before the game, go downstairs, locker room, whatever. Uh, you watch the game front row, you get field passes, and then you go out to dinner with Brady after. And I don't know what that's at, but the last I saw was like $780,000. I'm a little short on that. So, I'm going to have to stick with my $10, $20 raffle tickets. Anyway, for a million bucks, you could meet Tom Brady. That <laughs> seems worth it. So that's, that's what cool. I've been bullish on last night was this all-in challenge. If you don't, whether you donate or money, I, it doesn't matter to me. But definitely go check it out. It is entertaining to see the things and experiences that they have out there, and uh, kind of like a lottery ticket. You put in ten bucks a raffle, it creates ten bucks of uh, entertainment value. Well, you think about my walk-on role with Leo and Bob. What's something you got going on bullish in your life? Yeah, Nate? so to stick on the sports themes, I do think we've missed the boat a little bit, and I realize social distancing and all that stuff has to maintain, but I feel like we've missed the boat a little bit on some live sports uh, potential, things okay. like the All-In Challenge, things to raise money. But I am bullish that Tiger, Phil, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady saw that. in the month of May are going to do a two-on-two uh, golf deal. And so I think, I mean, if you put anything on TV right now that's live, oh, I feel like the viewership would be high. My wife was watching the draft last week, just and she could care less, but like it was a live thing going on, and she was watching it because, to your point, it's a, a live thing going so, on. Where are they playing at? Uh, undisclosed. The rumors are it's going to be in Florida, but they're not going to announce it because if they did course you're going to get crowds and all that stuff so they're going to keep that as to when they're going to do it they're going to keep that a little bit uh, hush is what What the rumor is what are the pairings is it tiger and brady or i believe and i don't recall i believe though it's tiger and tiger and brady against peyton and phil that's what i believe it to be peyton and brady play yeah, they're good they're both um that doesn't surprise me they're both single digit meaning they're six or eight or something Mm -hmm. handicapped so they're they're both good players, and I think they're fairly equal. Hmm. Doesn't surprise me those two are no. freaking scratch golfers. No. Another reason for me not to like those kinds of guys. That's right. Good so, yeah, that'll be cool. football players, good golfers. And I feel I feel live sports has a – it'll be different, but I think it'll be pretty unique over the summertime. I would imagine that it will be highly uh, highly, highly attended and uh, or highly watched anyway. That will be a good thing, and it's certainly something to pass the time on Can the weekends. Can you imagine, even though there's only, let's say, four of them – not sure how they're going to deal with caddies or carts because you got that. I'm sure they'll test everybody before they play, um, but I'm sure there'll be lots of people, even when they've spent hundreds of hours planning this thing, who will just think it's a terrible thing and you shouldn't be doing it. But I'm not in that camp. I think it's great. I think it's great too. And they're they're grown adults. They're making they'll make figure the decisions. It out. They'll figure yep. it out. One thing that I'm bearish on right now is and i'm all for protective equipment and social distancing and doing our part and also for phasing into the reopening of the economy and not trying to get political on any of this but the rubber glove thing out in public i get it i'm gonna touch something with rubber gloves i'm gonna take them off i'm gonna throw them away those gloves are done but i see too many people wander through a walgreens which i had to go to the other night to get medicine for my kids and whatever for who knows, whatever strep throat they have of the week. So you watch somebody go all the way through the store, touch, 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 pay, go out to their car, and then they got in their car with the gloves, grabbed the steering wheel, and started to drive. 
this is not making sense to me. No. <laughs> Rubber gloves or latex, whatever gloves should be, I believe, reserved for certain situations, meaning medical. If you go in a hospital room, the doctor puts gloves on. Yep. He walks out or she walks out of the room and you throw the gloves away. Thus, the germs that you picked up stay in that room. <laughs> and they don't like touching everything in Walgreens, going home, going to your counter doesn't really. <laughs> and I don't know that everybody's thought through that. Uh, but if you don't put your hands in your mouth <laughs> and you go and you use sanitizer and you wash them, probably better idea than wearing gloves 24 hours a day. <laughs> Rolling through Walgreens and hitting the drive through and grabbing on a Big Mac with some gloves on. <laughs> so I think just like, you know, you're not supposed to eat or inject bleach. I mean, that's fairly straightforward. I think uh, some of these rules need to come with a little more explanation for, for a lot of people. <laughs> for, the, for, for, the, for the common sense yeah. impaired. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll get on to our guest here. And so um, uh, our guest is Emily Weaver. And Emily Weaver is a uh, now a brand builder and helps smaller businesses scale to larger business. Her, uh, her In her early in her career, she spent quite a bit of time at Honest Company. Do you know what Honest Company is? I do. I see the guy, the Honest Guy. No, that's the Honest Guy's not on Shark Tank. That's the, uh, the Kind Bar guy's on Shark Tank. Oh, is he? Yeah, I don't know. The, the, there, the was, guy. there was an honest, there was the guy and I forget the guy's name. Um, I'll have Emily reminded who that was, but the female founder of uh, honest company was Jessica Alba. And you know, Jessica Alba. I'm familiar. She's yep. an actress, but her uh, acting career. And again, I don't know how much she made acting, but she, uh, that company was estimated. I believe the value to, at one point to be close to a billion dollars. So she, she had built this company from very small and uh, Emily was certainly part of that ride. So, you know, one of the reasons we founded the, the, the podcast and wanted to start it is we hear from our industry all the time in the financial services business. And no matter what industry you're in, it's a, they're all a pretty small world. And you hear a lot of the same opinions and same sound bites and same feedback from the same people over and over again. So, you know, with, with this podcast, what we wanted to do was hear from other uh, people who have worked in other industries, other businesses, and see what commonalities there are for us in our business or any business that you're in to be able to apply. And what you really find is that a lot of them deal with the same issues that any industry deals with. But to me, it's it's refreshing to get a different perspective. The, the, the podcast that we've, you know, this is probably our sixth or so episode, somewhere in there. I believe so. And it's been a lot of fun. We've got a lot of, uh, I guess, just a lot of people that you wouldn't think that listen to podcasts or that, you know, reach out. And so it's been a ton of fun to have some fun. And also, as as Bilu said, to hopefully get a little insight from different industries and different business owners and people who work with all types of industries, you know, on a daily basis. So with that, certainly thank you to all of you who have listened and uh, reached out and, uh, Either either give us good comments or at least gave us a you know a dose of criticism. <laughs> All good hearted, of course. But uh, Emily will talk about being authentic. She'll talk about business plans. She'll talk about what she's seen. You know, companies that are smaller going to bigger companies, which we're all trying to achieve that next step in business. What are some commonalities that they have either done or struggled with or challenges that they've met along the way? So, Nate, you're out of here. I'm interviewing Emily. All right. Thank you, guys. Welcome to the show, Emily. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Brian. Good. And sunny California is treating you well today? It's great. It's supposed to be 80 today, so we're happy. (laughs) 
feel like it's 80 in Los Angeles all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Good. And, uh, you know, as me and Nate were just talking about, obviously, you know, your, your skill set and you've carved out your, your career in the topics and passion that you have for branding and certainly, you know, taking businesses from small to very large and, and really doing those at scale. And I wanted to start off with, uh, you know, the first portion of it is as, as I've watched your career over the years, you spent a good chunk of time at a company called Honest Company. And tell us a little bit about what Honest Company did and kind of their trajectory and that ride that you were on there. Yeah. Um, so Honest Company is a um, better for you, safer for you um, brand that produces mainly um, baby products, but also has a brand underneath the banner called Honest Beauty. So makeup as well, makeup and skincare. Uh, and really the idea behind the company is to just help families live healthier and safer lives. Um, so, you know, I think when they started in, I think it was like 2012, they primarily launched um, in direct to consumer. Um, so really that subscription model that sure. we're all so familiar with now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, when I came on board, I, uh, they were just starting to think about launching into retail. And so, um, prior to honest, I, I spent much of my career at, uh, target headquarters. Um, so I, you know, when I came on board, really the, my purpose was to help them build and scale, um, a retail strategy. So, you know, Target was being a a big part of that strategy, being um, such a great retailer that it is, and just having the right guest consumer base uh, for someone like the Honest Company. So I, you know, my primary goal when I started was to help them launch and get into Target. And, you know, what's so amazing is we just did it in such a disruptive way. Um, We did it in a way that made really humongous companies like Johnson and Johnson, um, SC Johnson, what, you know, what have you, Kimberly Clark, um, really think, wow, who are these people and how do they, how do they get this space at target? And I think really that just goes to show with, uh, goes to show that there was a true white space in a really stale industry being the baby industry. You know, people are really craving, um, better for you products. And not only that, but the, you know, honest did a great job of taking the thought and the questions out of, out of, you know, is this okay for my baby? We really created trust nearly immediately because um, of how we approached and the ingredients and how we spoke about it, um, our marketing, what have you. And so that was part of the reason, and and now I know that, you know, obviously in in your career now, you work with other startup brands, helping them kind of achieve that that same level of success. And for for those of you who aren't familiar with Honest Company, the founders were uh, Jessica Alba, who uh, I think most people would know from being an actress. And what was the gentleman's name also that founded it with her? Yeah, Christopher Gavigan. Gavigan. Um, Just, yeah, you know, just an amazing guy who really... um, uh, just set out to, you know, help people live healthy lives. Um, he's just a great guy, very passionate, um, very purposeful. 
And that's, uh, if any of you have happened to have followed, you know, kind of the honest company along the way. And if you don't recognize that brand name, my guess is you have something from that in your house. Uh, but it's, uh, it was, I, I don't know how much Jessica Alba made in her, in her movie career, but I do know the company that they founded was at, at one point valued at a billion dollars with a B. And so that is a very large number. I would assume that the worth, you know, was, uh, probably far outweighed uh, what, what she had made in her act, actress career, which was probably a significant amount of money to begin with. But one of the things that I want to talk about with you, Emily, who have seen, you know, companies, you've helped them go from small to, you know, in that scale, very large. You're talking Johnson & Johnson and Kimberly Clark and Target, you know, publicly traded massive companies. But you've also helped a lot of smaller brands go to, you know, incrementally kind of that next level. And I think a lot of our listeners are, are, are they're always striving to get better and not, you know, we may be a way out ways off from striking deals with Johnson and Johnson, but it doesn't mean that the progression along the way has to happen. I doubt honest company was overnight either. So what I'd like to do is kind of pick your brain a little bit on, you know, kind of back in the foundation of companies and, and kind of keys to getting bigger and what, what lessons that others who are smaller can apply to that. And, one of the first things that I wanted to ask you about, and you just used the word, and I've heard you use it in your talks before, is passion. What, what does, mm-hmm. How much does passion play through in a lot of these successful brands? Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, when you combine... Um, I, hmm. Well, I mean, I guess I would say when you combine passion wherever you find passion you find your joy right Mm -hmm. and i think when you have joy then you're just inherently better at what you're doing or if you're not good at it you're very willing to put in the effort um to become good at it so i think you know passion uh interest joy are all kind of words that i think are really important to um not just a, a a brand or a company, but the people within the company, because I think they really, um, you know, they really are the builders of, of the brand or the business. Sure. And the, the other word that I've heard you use, and this probably goes somewhere along the lines of passion is you talk about authentic and, you know, being an authentic person and true to who you are. What what kind of in reference when you've spoken in the past have you used around that authentic and what does that mean to you and how how do people apply that? Yeah, I so authenticity I, I think is really important. I think um, you know you can a lot of people think um, some of or part of who they are is a bad thing, but really I think it's uh, <laughs> authenticity. Like authenticity to me is like, you really need to accept who you are. You need to embrace it. Um, and a lot of times that can be your superpower too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just really need to understand that, you know, you need to understand how others perceive and receive you. So for example, I'm a very direct person, but not everyone appreciates my directness. <laughs> um, so, you know, we always, you, you always hear about the golden rule, right? Which is treat others how you want to be treated, but not everybody knows about the platinum rule. And the platinum rule to me, I think is really important as well. So it's treat others how they want to be treated. Sure. So it's really important for me to adjust my approach. And sometimes it's just about word choice versus 
changing who I am or not being authentic. Um, really, it's just the approach or the verbiage sure. that, you know, that I can change and still be an authentic person or authentic to who I am. I think that's a good, a good, uh, a good choice of words that you use there is it's not changing who you are versus changing the verbiage of your approach. You can still get your direct point across without maybe using such direct or, uh, harsh. harsh. (laughs) It's going to say offensive when, when I do it, sometimes it's offensive, but harsh is a better word. (laughs) But Yeah. And staying true to who you are is obviously a big thing when you watch, you know, a lot of the brands that, that we've know and love and the people behind them, they are very authentic people. I would put, you know, Mark Cuban in that category of, he is very much, you get what you see and you see what you get. I think when you, when you talk mm-hmm. to him now, you got your, you know, your, a lot of small businesses, they've got the passion to start. That's why they're in it. That's why they chose the, the insane life of being a business owner. They are authentic people. And I was kind of, you know, making sure that they're defining, you know, who they are and what their company stands for. <clears throat> and then you get into kind of a process for things. What, what have you seen, you know, it, yeah, well, process is an interesting thing. Of whatever you set it out to be, it seems like you can't help but changing it along the way. How do how do companies pick a process, stick with it, and you know we we're always taught stick with a process, but yet you have to adapt certain things along the way, measurables and look at things. What have you seen s- successful companies do to develop a process and refine it, but still stay in a process groove? Mm-hmm. Well, I think establishing process pretty early on in, you know, the company's um, life is very important. Um, I think it can be, if you don't do this, it can be companies downfall and, and can really get them in a lot of trouble down, down the road. Um, that I guess <laughs> to me, it always, that, that can kind of lead to, things getting put together with popsicles and bubble gum, right. (laughs) Versus, um, versus having good process from the beginning. Now that doesn't mean, like you said earlier, you can't pivot or adapt. That is very important, but I think it's just, you know, if you know, you're going to be doing something regular, regularly get it right the first time or continue to refine it until it's right. Mm -hmm. But if you just kind of make it up each time, um, a, you're wasting your own time, and B, I get you know that's again where you start getting things put together with bubble gum and popsicle sticks. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing, Emily, that I've heard you talk about before, and I think it's a great, uh, great lesson for people to learn, is the difference between a generalist and a specialist. And I think a lot of business owners, when they start, I mean, I certainly know we started that way, where you know back in the initial days. I would write our blast emails. I would send them out with wrong phone numbers or all these mistakes, but I was, I was the, the, the by default person who knew the most about how to do it. But eventually, you know, now we've got a team of people that do that. We hired people who are better and smarter than us in those areas. Talk a little bit about generalists and specialists and that process that a business goes through of making sure that they're hiring, you know, the, the right people for the right job. Sure. So, I think generalists serve a really great and amazing purpose, particularly in the beginning phases of a company. Um, If you have experts in the very beginning, you're really just going to be 
pretty fat from my perspective, um, and you're not quite ready to hire the experts in the beginning. Now, once you, you know, have a business plan, you have reasonable numbers, um, you have your goal or path set out for you, that's kind of the time that you want to start introducing experts. Um, so for example, at the honest company, um, you know, I was an expert at retail. Specifically, I was an expert with Target, having worked there for so long. So it was a great time for them to hire someone like me um, to help them really understand what's possible and achievable, and how do you make a big splash mm-hmm. when you launch at when you launch when we were launching the brand at Target. Um, they, you know, they weren't ready to hire me when they launched the company two years prior because there was no retail exposure. Okay. So really, you know. I think that's a pretty good example of when you need to fold in the experts versus doing it right from the beginning. Um, And then I think secondly, um, you know, know that you're not an an expert in everything. Right. And so even if I'm a retail expert, I really didn't have that much um, exposure at the time to drug. So Mm -hmm. when you, you know, drug being like CVS, Walgreens, right. Um, so hiring someone who's an expert there, because sure, a widget's a widget or a retailer's a retailer. They, they might be going after the same thing that they function differently. So some, it's important to kind of, uh, just make sure that you're hiring the experts at the right time. One area that, that we see people struggle with it, Emily, and you've probably seen it before too. So I love your thoughts on it is, is when they're looking at hiring that specialist, or someone else into their business, they look at it as a as a cost and not an investment. You know, they're not looking at the return on what that person adds. And I think there's two ways mm-hmm. to look at that return is, is one, am I hiring a, uh, a person who will take some of my tasks off my plate, do probably better than what I would do with it, and I can move on to focus on higher revenue generating activities. There's a number there. If I can eliminate this activity and increase this one, there should be some quantifiable number there. The second one is more of a, this person is going to help me directly generate revenue into the business. And then of course, quantifying that cost. So is there, are there any things that other things you can think of where you've seen businesses have success in deciding where to add those specialists in? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you need to really understand the revenue associated with, you know, where you're set out, what you're set out to achieve. Um, And when the time is right, that's when you want to start hiring. And like you said, it really is about the potential Mm -hmm. versus the immediate cost. So, you know, for example, when uh, Honest hired me, they hired me two years after they started because they weren't their goal wasn't to launch into retail retail. Their goal was to launch direct consumer Mm -hmm. when the time was right for them, when we could substantiate some of the the revenue associated with what, what launching into retail looks like. That's when I went over to honest to help them launch into target. Right. I'm sure there was no, I would say immediate return on their investment, but long-term it certainly looked like it paid off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, with launching into retail, it can take nine to 12 months to really do it right, just based on how they planned and plan and based on, um, you know, things that you need to do to get retail ready. So payrolling someone for nine to 12 months, sure, it can, it can seem like a cost, but really 
the potential that a loss certainly outweighed the salary that I had. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cool. Well, we right. definitely appreciate having you on the show, and certainly excited to uh, to to you know watch you help develop the brands of the future. What is a brand that you love right now, and why? Oh, great question. Um, it would be <laughs> so it's kind of funny, but it would be Pattern. So Pattern is a multicultural hair care um, brand. <laughs> so the reason why I love it is first, I think it's it's just it's true white space space. Um, mm-hmm. so while there's multicultural hair care out there, um, it, it's just not, you know, it's done. It's always been done the same way and it's really boring. It looks like uh, the, the packaging all looks the same. And this brand is just it really did it in a way that it's beautiful, smart, sleek, every aspect on, you know, everything from the goop to the packaging. Uh, it's just a really beautiful brand. Um, I, I'm particularly passionate about it because it was one of the brands that um, was under the Beach House Group oh. uh, banner, that, and that's who I recently worked with. And uh, a good friend of mine also runs it, so that might be another reason why I'm passionate about it. <laughs> very cool. Well, thank you very much for sharing you, your expertise with us. And uh, you know, we have a lot of people that own and operate small businesses, a lot of financial advisors listen to the show. And so you know, to hear someone like you who has been on a – a ride at such a large scale and take these lessons and apply them back to our businesses is is beyond helpful so we appreciate all that you shared with us emily well thank you for having me i really appreciate it all right well we look forward to having you back on the show one day and you go enjoy that 80 degree california weather i sure will thank you brian thanks emily